It's another episode of Where You Are, Season 3. everybody. So this episode is called Jimmy's Corner. I thought I would take a little time at least once or twice this season to talk about where I am, what's going on in my life, and if that resonates with you, that's great. So it's Sunday afternoon. I'm sitting here with Dolly P, my dog. The P stands for Parton, of course. Well, I call it a mood P because, you know, it could be Dolly Petunia, Dolly Petit, Dolly Pickles. Uh, you know, whatever, whatever I'm in the mood for calling that P, that's what her name is. But we're sitting here and it's, it's a rainy day, which I love. How did I end up with a dog who does not like rain though? Rain is my passion weather. I want it to rain all the time. I want it to be gray and windy and rainy and just huddled inside my, my, my home with maybe a the air on 67. I know, but I like it cold and rainy and gray. But Dolly can't stand it. She won't really go out for a W-A-L-K. I can't say that right now. She is, sometimes she trembles when, when if there's stormy weather. So I feel, I feel kind of bad for her. But yeah, it's a Sunday and I'm sitting here. I've spent the weekend, actually I've spent a lot of time recently reflecting on where I am and, and what I'm doing. I'm very content, I would say, in what's happening in, at work. In terms of some of the creative endeavors that I'm doing, the collaborations that I have with other people, I serve on the diversity committee. I'm the chair of the diversity committee of our campus, and we have a lot of things planned this semester, and I really believe in that work, and it feels important to me, and it feels meaningful, and it involves students and faculty and staff, everyone really, at least in principle. So that that I enjoy. I enjoy teaching. I enjoy teaching writing. I enjoy teaching literature. I enjoy interacting with students and learning from them and them learning from each other and maybe learning something from me. And I think that that kind of career is something that I'm really, I've found a place where my talents and my interests and my abilities, where they coalesce, right, in teaching. And I'm, a, I'm at a community college, so I don't have to do any research unless I want to. I don't really. So I can just focus on teaching and serving on, you know, doing things for the community and for the school that I think are important. We're starting a, a writing group at the campus that I work at that will be led by one of my favorite librarians. So that's exciting. You know, I started a writing, we're starting, we are starting, the English department is starting a writing center on each of our campuses. We have four and that's also exciting. And I'm getting writing coaches and getting to know them and train them and work with them. And all that is really fulfilling to me. But sometimes when I'm sitting around or, you know, when I get home and I'm pretty mentally exhausted and I'm <laughs> watching Days of Our Lives, Beyond Salem, that was a fun little series. 
or anticipating Marlena's possession uh, coming back after all these years. Anyway, when I'm watching television or having my downtime, I have this kind of nagging feeling that I'm not fully, how do I put this? I don't see that I'm fully present. No, I don't know if present's the word. I guess it's like that old uh, song, is this all there is, that feeling. And maybe that's something that happens as you get older. And it's interesting to me that I feel that even though I think that what I'm doing is is fulfilling and of service and interesting and not totally self-serving, et cetera, those are all things that I think are important to me and what I spend my time doing. But I still have sometimes that sense of, is this all there is? I wonder if any of you feel that way. So I think that the part of me that is struggling is the part of me that wants to do creative things that, um, that are not being addressed in the projects and the things that I do in the workplace. For instance, I grew up going to a little school up in North Alabama called Ryan, Ryan Elementary, Ryan, Ryan Junior High, used to be high school. And I think it was around, I've been doing the research, for about 100, 110 years, around 100 years. And it closed in 2011, 2012, which, you know, happens to small rural schools like that. It's up in, it's not a big community. I grew up in a community called Hulaco, which is basically part of that er whole area. It's called Hulaco, Ryan. Uh, there's all kinds of little communities up there. And Hulaco had a truck, not a truck stop, it had a, had a traffic light and it had uh, a general store, you know, and you could find, you could rent movies at the general store, you could buy whatever you needed at the general store, right? The, I remember it as a place where I got to rent movies for our VCR, which was such an excitement when we got that. I remember getting that when we lived in the double wide on Hulaco Road. And I think my dad may have bought it for us and we did not know, I'm going to get back to my point in a second. We did not know that you could hit stop and rewind when the movie was over. So we would stand there and hold the rewind button forever and ever and ever until the movie rewound until we really thought we were so clever. One day we devised a way of saving us the energy and the time of having to stand there and hold it. We would prop a broom up against the rewind button and lean a chair on the broom and it would rewind rewind for us simple times you guys but anyway so i'm there in huleco growing up going to the school k through eight that basically i think maybe we would have 10 to 15 people per class and so 100 to 150 students i'm estimating at any given time through you know in k through eight now before i went there it, my mom graduated from there. So she had a graduating class probably of 10 to 15. But by the time I got there, it was a smaller school, K through eight. And then the majority of us would go on then to Brewer High School over in Somerville, which was, I think, a 6A school, a huge school, a big difference, right? But in kindergarten through eighth grade, we were basically like, you know, little house on the prairie over there. We were, it was a small, tight knit group. And it had a very special feel. It was this old, the building was this beautiful stone structure, like those big, beautiful like stones. And there was a, you know, we had a softball field and a big playground, or in my mind, it was big. 
we had we, we knew all of our teachers we all knew each other we we knew each other in the community some of us went to church together right we had good teachers i had my favorite some of my favorite teachers some of the most meaningful classroom experiences i ever had were with my aunt Faye, who taught fourth and fifth grade so I had her for Alabama history. I had her for all these things, but I remember Alabama history because one of the things we learned was the, I think I talked about this in a podcast two years ago. We learned some of the native American tribes by this little chant that we would do with our pencils. So we would do, uh, it's a long story, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Ch uh, Choctaw, Cherokee, Chickasaw Creek. These are the Indians. This is their beat. So I, being very dramatic, one time when we were doing that, stabbed myself in the chin with my pencil and the lead broke off in there. And I was a bit melodramatic growing up, as you might have guessed. And I thought I was going to get lead poisoning. And I remember my FA comforting me and assuring me that I would be okay. We had Halloween carnivals every year. Maybe they call them fall, festival, fall festivals now. But we had a haunted house in the basement of the gym. We had cakewalks and and all kinds of games in the gym that were set up and there would be people there and miss bowling one of my favorite teachers who had such a huge impact on my life loved telling stories especially ghost stories so she told ghost stories in her room and i remember that that old story that thump thump drag story which i cannot tell a ghost story i'm not even going to try but all of these memories are just such a part of my identity and i really want to write about it I, you know, recently after the school was closed for about a, about a decade, a man, a business, a small business owner, I think from Hartzell or somewhere bought the school. Right. And I noticed the last time I was driving by that he set up fences and he mows the yard. And I think there's been some auctions there or whatever, but it seems to me such a waste of space. Uh, and I don't mean that as an insult to him, but it seems to me that that's that that really should be a historic uh, monument, a historic building, a historic site, uh, because so many people's lives in that area are were bound up in that there's i think if you talk to anyone from that school there is a very special feeling about it and so i've, I've started doing research on morgan county which is where the school is located i even went and stayed at week in decatur alabama which is uh the where the archives are and i found a book about morgan county and i found articles about Ryan's school and about its founder, Randolph Ryan and his family. So I'm working on that project. And I think one of the things that is frustrating for me is one of the, where the sense of not feeling like I'm doing everything I need to do is that I've started that work and I started it on a week when I was out of school. But now once the semester gets rolling, if any of you are teachers, uh, or work in a community college or K through 12, even, I guess, or universities, for me at least, and maybe you'll identify it. Once the semester gets going, it's almost like a runaway train. It's like I, I'm just holding on for dear life and trying to make things happen. And so much of my energy and focus is on the school, on the school and on the semester and on my students and on the projects that I'm working on that it's very difficult for me in my downtime when I get home to work on the, those creative projects like writing about Ryan's school. So I need to find a way, if any of you have any advice, <laughs> you know, I read this book recently about time management, which focuses on it from a sort of philosophical, theological viewpoint where you really, I guess the admonition or the, the advice of the book would be to, you know, unplug from the rat race, you know, don't, 
don't be sucked into the productivity model of capitalism. And I don't, some, I don't want to, I'm not trying to start a debate about capitalism, but there is this sense of our value deriving from our busyness. And I don't want to have a life that is just checking boxes on a list of priorities. I want to leave room for spontaneity. I want to leave room for, for fluidity of thought. I want to leave room for silliness and for uh, discovery and curiosity and all those things. So I think that's where the root of my problem is um, that I want these, I have these other projects that I want to work on the, the book about Ryan school, or I guess I should call it a project. I could do a podcast, you know, next year, instead of doing interviews, uh, I could, I could work on a podcast, you know, over the summer about, Ryan, maybe I'll do that. But the point is, I think in the meantime, in between times, I find myself in these kind of lulls. No, it's not a depression. You know, a couple of years ago, I was experiencing uh, for a couple of months what I was calling a walking depression. And it was really, it, I wasn't crying. I wasn't upset. I just, it was, it was deeper than what I'm feeling right now. But it really was a sense that uh, I, I felt kind of lost and it was starting to affect my work and everything like that. And, th and then I made some decisions that I think helped and I went back to therapy and, and I think I helped myself. This that I'm going through right now, I think is, is not that, it's not that, that it's more of a lull. It's more of um, like, I need a recharge. And that's why I actually decided to, to do this episode the way I'm doing it. And heck, you know, I know my students probably can't stand to listen to me. I've seen evidence that my students can't stand to listen to a video that I put in my courses that is like 14 minutes. So who knows if anybody wants to listen to me talk for, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go for an hour, I promise. But I think that's where I am. Uh, and the reason I wanted to do this sort of reflection today on this rainy, what I think is a beautiful day. So I have the project I want to work on, the Ryan project. I, I have other things that I would like to get started. But I remember reading in that book, it's called the 4,000 Weeks. It's called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals. And I can't remember the author, but I'll look it up later. Um, and in that book, one of the pieces of advice somewhere there in there is that you really have to decide what you're going to let go of. <laughs> and I think that is probably something that I'll need to do this during this time. What are some things that I can let go of both at work? Cause I take on things at work that are not given to me. I wanted to start a writing center on all four campuses and online. No one asked me to do that. I took that up. I went to administration, they gave me a course release and I'm doing it. There are others, there's the diversity committee. There are other projects at work that I really am excited about, but you know, perhaps I need to say I've got to back away from work a little bit. I mean, I'm still doing my, my job. I'm teaching and serving on committees and doing things I'm supposed to do. But in terms of initiating projects at work, maybe I have to back off a little bit. Maybe there are dreams or things or schemes that I have to let go of in my life. I'm not letting go of the Ryan school project. That's something that's been with me for a while. I know that I need to do that, but you know, 
maybe I'm not going to take voice lessons. Maybe I'm not going to run for political office. Maybe I'm not going to finish that play that I was, that I started years ago uh, that is a post-apocalyptic vision on, on my deathbed of the world uh, in apocalypse where the first act is with Barbara Streisand in a shopping mall. The second act is with Linda Carter and the third act is with my mother. You know, I started that, I finished one act. Maybe I'm not going to finish that. So I think there are processes in, in a lot of cultures of letting go of things, ritualizing that. Oh, maybe you could shoot me a message if you know any of those, any kind of things that you've learned about letting go of some things. And also, I just, I want to, well, the, the pandemic has really stepped on a lot of the things that I do for fun. You know, I, I used to always be going to the movies. Mainly, I would go to the, to the theater. I was always going to the theater to see plays, to see uh, musicals, to see. I love going. I love doing that. So I miss some of those cultural things. I love going to museums and things like that. Anyway, that's a little bit about where I am. You know, I've told a lot of times there's a there's a little strip joint next to the community college where I work. It's called Wesley's Booby Trap. I don't mean to advertise for them, but I often tell people that, you know, I could I've got an act worked up and I could go work there uh, if, if, if nothing else, you know, it might be an easier life. And my goal is my 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 uh, act would be not to take off my clothes, God forbid, but I would be called the absent minded professor. And every time I'll be walking around trying to find things that I had misplaced, you know, a dry erase marker. Uh, my phone, keys, uh, whatever, erasers, those kinds of, how to start the, how do I turn the projector on, all kinds of things that I could try to figure out or find. And every time I find or figure something out, people give me money. That's my, that, that could be interesting. Maybe I'll give it all up for that. Anyway, we're going to end this segment and move along in just a second. Fox will be joining us later. Howdy, Fox. What's going on? Oh, nothing terribly, not much. I was supposed to do a, a new softball thing, reaching out, trying new things, but there was rain. So I went out, I drank, and I came home. It's a, It's been a Sunday. Well, I just finished recording a segment earlier, and then I dragged Dolly out in the rain in the car. She doesn't mind the rain so much if she's in the car. Fair enough. And we went to Full Moon. Okay. And then I ate in the car and watched an episode of Melrose Place. Okay. Season five. I'm almost through. I'm going to get through the whole series. That man who crawled out of the dirt. How's oh, he's he gone. Doing? He's oh, gone he's now. Gone. Okay. Yeah. I don't even remember what his name is now. Okay. And so is Josie Bissett. At this point, Josie Bissett's gone. Well, that's unfortunate because it's not like she was the largest personality, but she was a good personality. Yeah, they, and I liked her. Yeah. They brought Abby Mills in. Abby Mills. Ab they brought Abby. Uh, sorry. Donna Mills in who played right. Abby on Not Slanding to play her mother. And then. Apparently, I did some research, and Josie Bissett left the show because she had had a miscarriage, and she was having a hard time. Oh, well, by all so, means, yeah. Yeah, and then Donna Mills left, too. And now Marsha Cross is leaving. So, we Having were... already developed Brie and ready to take her to a far more successful That's franchise. Right. <laughs> well, we were sitting here watching Law & Order SVU on the television. For a brief moment, yes. What's coming up in your week this week? 
this week who I am giving my first exam to my students. I, I am teaching students in one class this semester and they're taking their first exam and that will be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, Jimmy, you already know this, but, um, so leading into this first exam, I'm going to have four exams across the, uh, the time. So three exams and then a final. And I plan to have two units in leading up to this first exam. And they have, they had review homeworks and they had a, ba a basic section for each one. And then there was a major homework due at the end of the unit, which would have, which, I mean, it's the end of the unit. It's significantly harder than what came before. And the end of that first unit came and they worked on that homework for that one. And they freaked out, <laughs> um, which I don't blame them for. I think, I think they're lacking some skills that should have come beforehand, possibly due to COVID reasons. I have sympathy. They've had a, an irregular college experience up till this point. Yeah. But I had to hold firm on that deadline saying, okay, I will walk you through quickly the things you need to get done, but this is due tonight. That, that's the other thing. that Most of them didn't email me until the night before it was due. So. Welcome to my world. So they went through that, and that was a thing. And the next homework seems better, and this exam is coming up. And we're going to see how it turns out. My hope is that by holding firm and building up both in lecture and in like on-campus data banks of requisite material that they may not be fully familiar with, I'm hoping that I'm at least both holding to my schedule, holding them to the standards that I expected at the beginning of the semester while still giving them the tools to where they can accomplish that, even if they were missing something from previous classes. Yeah. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping so. Yeah, teaching is an interesting thing. Yep. Yeah, sure so is. So let's talk about, I want to talk about your fashion. I think this is really cool. Tonight you're wearing, well, you've got a sort of a nude or beige sock on there. That's cute. Yeah. And then you've got a white short. Yes. This is, what brand are we here? Oh, I don't know. I think this short is one of the ones I got from the family friends. They gave me a bunch okay. of clothes from the fire. But a through. nice classic white short, although it is after Labor Day. Oh, it's it's off white. It's like that, it's like that <laughs> yeah. African colonial. It's white, white. It, okay. <laughs> African colonial white. And then you have this fun sort of. It reminds me of uh, what's his name, Doctor Jacoby. I think was his name, or was that the guy who played on on uh, Twin Peaks? You've got this kind of like purple and yellow floral no what is that i mean it's hawaiian it's it's mostly i i think i was trying to remember this earlier there's a strain of like purple to red across a 3d map of color it's like iridescent or incandescent or something but it's that it's it's a strain of purples and oranges and reds yeah so we have sunset it's very sunset Palm trees, sailboats. I got a few shirts like this recently uh, leading into this semester just because I wanted something that fit me better from a height and an arm length perspective and also because I was wanting something a little louder and gayer. Let's let's be real. It was gayer. <laughs> so this was your aesthetic. You decided I'm going with loud and gay. Yes. And this shirt in particular, the purple works really well off the pink in my hair. So I'm very happy for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got a whole vibe going on there. I do, I do. And this is, I ultimately decided this was not a shirt I was going to wear professionally, like in the professional spaces of engineering work and teaching work. But I've got others that are like blue with these bright red 
flowers or white with bright blue flowers with long sleeves, that one in particular. So there's, there are others in this vein I have worn, just not this particular yeah. one. Whereas I at work the other day, my friend Natalia said, so you just, you're wearing black all the time now? What's going on? You know what happens with me is that as, as I gain weight, I am more uncomfortable with myself. I need to work on not shaming myself. So sure. I wear layers and dark and all that, but you're, you're really embracing, you know, being out and bold. Yeah. I, I do approach, I do approach it first and foremost of wanting to feel comfortable in my clothing. And a part of that is social and pushing the boundaries that I feel I need to push for my own sake. And part of that is my weight is my weight. I'm, I'm near the heaviest I've ever been. Uh, I won't say it on the thing, but <laughs> I'm I'm at a point where yeah, like a, I need a two XLT at minimum. You, most of these shirts I bought were a three XL, and they feel great. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. I'm working on being comfortable with myself, but at the same time, I am trying to lose weight. So yeah. bless your heart. What can I say? Mm -hmm. So. I, this week, have, you know, some plans to, at school, I was talking earlier in this little segment that I recorded about the writing centers and all that stuff that I'm working on at, at work, and the diversity fair is coming up, so that'll be something fun that I can plan. So I'll be taking care of, you know, all that stuff while at work. But I was saying earlier how I, I, I want to try not to lose focus on or, or try to make time for some of the other things that I enjoy or want to do that are not necessarily being taken care of at work, you know, writing and things like that so tr this week i'll be trying to figure out some way to i don't know pull back a little bit from some things open up some space here and there what i need to do really is sit in the place that i am in and by which i mean like in a conceptual sense yeah like don't let it all just happen and pass me by i remember when i was doing theater i used to always say that if I didn't enjoy the rehearsal process and all I was doing was looking forward to the actual play itself and the performance, that seemed like a waste of time to me. That if, if the preparation and the getting ready for something and the gearing up for it are not enjoyable and meaningful and whatever else they can be, and the only thing that matters is like the final thing, um, that's a lot of time that you've spent for a moment. Certainly. A future moment. Do you know what I mean? Certainly. So I think I'm wondering, I know you weren't here when I recorded that earlier segment, but I'm wondering if a lot of what's happening to me is that I need to just embrace and sort of more fully let myself experience what I'm doing and don't just think of uh, there's an end result that I'm working toward. It should be like the whole process itself should be. I was going to say you and I are in different places professionally, but that is closer to what you, what you described is very close to what I'm considering in my work, my work. I am be, being as relatively young as I am and taking on as much responsibility in the department as I am. I am looking, try, I'm at least trying to look toward, okay, how do I get this down to a process where I'm not just duct taping my way to a result today how do i make sure that we consistently know how to deliver this when it's needed next year or next semester or next week or on whatever level how do i make sure that we are delivering this in a way that is as smooth as it can be and is and is more productive than what has been delivered in the past 
working in academia, I don't think everyone has that same forward vision, or if they do, it's occluded by so many other responsibilities. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think one of the things that would make more clear what I'm talking about is I know, for instance, last week when I would be, so I would go to, we have four campuses, and so I would go to one campus mm -hmm. and take care of some things for the writing center and talk to people and, you know, start getting it ready for that. And then I would be also, I would come back to my home campus and work on planning for the diversity fair and grading and, t and teaching and all that. And what, by the end of the day, it feels like, I'm going to have like mental collapse. <laughs> like, yeah. There's just so much in my brain and it also affects the way that I interact with. So I have share an office suite with three people who I really like a lot <laughs> and we usually have great conversations and we plan things and we talk about work and all that. But because I'm so in all the planning and doing, I'm, and I guess this stuff is temporary. Once everything's up and going, there won't be so much going on, you know, in my head. Yeah. But it's it's affecting the way that I experience. There's a lot of the moment because you're having to spread yourself and conceptualize things across. I mean, geography can make it feel like it's that much more concrete if you got to spread yourself over things. Yeah. yeah. And then I start to worry. You know, when every time anytime you start a project or you start doing something, or for me at least, I don't know if it's the same for you. There's a great deal of insecurity that comes into it. So even the podcast, for instance. I have started thinking, oh, you know, is the well going to run dry? Who else do I interview? You know, how do I set up these interviews? Does it, is this meaningful? Does anybody even care? Like I start doubting what I'm doing on some level. And then on another level, level I keep doing it. And the same thing happens at work. I'm like, will the writing center <laughs> last? Or, you know, is, is no one going to come? Or the diversity fair, is it going to be contentious or they're going to be people angry about certain groups that are there or whatever. So there's always some kind of insecurity about what I'm doing. I hear that. Yeah. And I wish I had a solution to that. <laughs> it's something I think about. Yeah. But I guess I just, I'm not going to stop doing anything. I, I, I tend to be pretty pig headed about like, I, I have determined that I'm going to do this podcast for five years. Yeah. And even if, as it, it may evolve or change a little bit, but for some reason, I just feel like letting it go. There's some things that I can let go of, as I was talking about earlier, like probably won't run for political office. I can let that go. Mm -hmm. Finishing the podcast or finishing the five-year dream or vision or whatever I have for it, I just don't want to let that go. I'm willing to let it go if it really becomes a big problem or anything, but yeah. do you have a problem letting go of projects? Not just creative projects, but anything. There is a very big block that I have, and this gets into personal stuff of mine, but with all the stuff that I've wanted to do for my more creatively-minded podcast, I've seen things in creative spaces, both locally and on the internet spaces that I frequent, where it's brought me to a place where I'm just like, why do I even want to put that out there? Is there even anyone on the other end who's going to be receptive? Is because you because you see a lot of bad faith, oh yeah, inquiries and a lot of bad faith interactions with things and hate mobs and uh, people looking to put something down in order to build their clout within a socially minded atmosphere that does not ultimately translate toward progression. 
I don't know if that makes any sense to you listeners out there, but I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think especially in the economies and in the worlds that we have today that are so widely minded, I think you really have to keep a grasp on who are you talking to? Who do you want to talk to and who are, and who is hearing you and what will they do with it? And I don't have an answer to those questions on any level. Well, when I think about the podcast, there are a few that I'm really proud of. And there's one in particular that I think shows or helps me understand. I can actually think of two for sure that there is something to what I'm doing. Like, when I talked to my cousins, Christy and Kenula, that experience was so meaningful to me. You were there. Yeah. It was a great day. I enjoyed that episode. Um, it helped me reconnect with them. And then when I did the episode with, uh, with a Tom Whitaker, that he has now passed away. And he had a brain, that. Right. And he had a brain tumor. My sister passed away of the same kind of brain tumor. And, that interview, knowing that that was an opportunity that he took, he agreed to do that. And he had hoped that he would continue to live and that, you know, that it wouldn't take him. And it's but, very evident in the interview. Right. Stands. And we didn't just dwell on that when we talked, but now that it's now that he has gone and passed away, um, there's that sort of capsule that, that moment in time where he was able to really say a lot and, talk about a lot. So to me, that's in a way the podcast, even though I'm talking about living in the moment and, and experiencing things or whatever, it also will be like a, it, it will be like a, almost like a time capsule in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I've talked to all these different people. It'll be a time capsule of me, you know, it'll capture me for these several years that I've done it. So it's something that'll be there in perpetuity, I guess. Is Right. Right. So, there's something to that. It's the same way, I guess, we, as you know, Joni Mitchell says, you know, we're chicken scratching for immortality or whatever. Yeah. But putting things out, it, it does make you feel insecure. But when you know that it's out there and it has done something or touched some meaningful place, it does feel a little better. Yeah. It's not about making me, it, it's not about me trying to, it's about me knowing that it's not a waste of time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or not a waste of, not just mine, but like, do you know what I mean? Like a waste of time in general. I think I follow the sentiment. I don't know where to take it, but I follow the sentiment. Yeah. So anyway, I'm looking forward to a few more rainy days. I've heard it's going to rain some more. Party. <laughs> you don't like the rain? Yeah. No. I love the rain. Well, do you have anything you want to add before we slip slide away out of this podcast? No, I could ramble on about some songs in my head lately. Oh, what have you got in your head? There's two songs. There's one song that's been drifting in my head for a couple of weeks now. And there's another one that came into my head today that I was very interested to realize I was having a very different interpretation of, which, honestly, the genre it's coming from, that makes sense. But one, the song that's been in my head for a couple of weeks now which I have been doing at karaoke far too often. You've heard me do a karaoke is burn from the Hamilton musical. Oh yeah. It is 
she has a couple songs, but it's basically her singular solo. This is my story arc moment for uh, Eliza Schuyler, the woman who Hamilton married. And it is a moment in the pl- in the play where she has been done wrong. Uh, he's released the, I forget the name of the documents, but he's told the world about having an affair. Uh, and he's done it in such a way that leaves her and the family out to dry and doesn't even accomplish the thing he wants to do because he's so tied up in, well, what will people think of me that it, he just it, he just self-destructs in releasing this document. And so she's got this song where she's like, you, you could paint all these things for me when the relationship started, but it, there was never room for me. And which feels really resonant with the discourse around how, well, Hamilton doesn't really have a huge amount of room for its female characters, mm-hmm. both from a historical perspective and in the way the musical is constructed. And it just really sticks with me of the frustration that she feels. She is so stuck in the social state that she is in as a woman in that time, married to a man of power. And she takes the only step she can, which is to deny. She burns the letters that would have humanized him to the public. She says, the world, the world has no right to her heart. They don't get to know what I said. You will go over there and you will have no more of me, essentially. And I'm still wrestling with my feelings on that and why it's so resonant with me. But there was a song that occurred to me today after having some tense conversations with people. Um, There was a group called Glitch Mob who made a lot of like glitchy EDM music back in the early 2000s. And there's a song of theirs called Between Two Points, which is very slow but very but very weighty and it's in that realm of edm where it's just so abstract in the poetry of its language that it could mean anything and today i felt that same frustration thinking about it the lyrics to me in this moment feel like wow there's the shortest distance between two points is a line from me to you. And the singer singing that is so distorted and trying so hard to get it across. It really, I hadn't thought of it before today. It was like, wow, it seems so simple, but she can't get across that gap. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I'd always thought of it in different ways that I can't think of now, but just that level of frustration had not occurred to me before. Music is a powerful thing. Yeah. I think music is meditation for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of different things. But it, it can put me in this state with a certain song at a certain moment. And sometimes it hits you just right. Tonight I was thinking about that on the way back in the rain after I was watching Melrose Place and eating my burger. I was driving down Shades Crest over here. I love that bluff there. It's so pretty up there. So it's raining and it, I looked my favorite weather. And Linda Ronstadt came on. And then Linda Carter came on and then KT Oslin came on and there, there were three different songs, but they just like, because of the weather, because of my state of mind, because of where I am, because of the darkness. So, I mean, music can even hit you differently, whether you're in the light or the dark. 
Yeah. And I mean, not metaphorically. Yeah. The time of day. You sometimes, if you listen to a song and it doesn't hit you, you need to you need to come back to it in another frame of mind or another time of day. A different context, a different sensory yes. connection. Yeah. And so for me, the, that music was really hitting me in a sensory way, mm -hmm. in my gut. So, but I love all three of them anyway. Yeah. Well, Dolly has passed out here between us. Poor thing. I guess that's what's going to happen to our listeners. I hope you're okay, listeners. <laughs> They're just going to pass out. We're just going to lull them to sleep. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody has a great couple of weeks, and I'll be back in two weeks with a new guest. Bye. Thanks, Fox. Thank you. Thank Bye. you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created, edited, and hosted by Jimmy Ellenberg. The intro music is Sunrise by Skirk, used with permission. The views expressed in this podcast do not represent those of my employer. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day wherever you are.